So open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, Luke 2, uh, and we'll start in verse 1, Luke 2, and we'll start in verse 1. While you find that, I'll tell you, um, I love doing a Christmas message every year. Um, I've done one every year, I think, for as long as I can remember, and it does get challenging to go, okay, how do we keep it fresh and all that? I don't know how many times I've been in Luke 2. I have no idea. I can assure you that I did not uh, rebake some old message or anything. Didn't even look at any old message. Um, but I find it invigorating and fresh every time I come to the same passage. It's just, it's just new and awesome, and God has something in store for me. And by the way, that's a good way to view the scriptures. If uh, the preacher opens up a passage and you go, I've heard that one before, that is not a good... Um, diagnosis of your soul. <laughs> uh, the, the God's word is always fresh. The gospel is always rich. There's always something to be gleaned. Uh, the Holy Spirit penned this. The Holy Spirit gave you life. The Holy Spirit illuminates truth. So let's go to it together joyfully. This is God's word, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, every year I've been blessed to do this little thing uh, at at Calvary Colony uh, up in the Millington area up there somewhere. Is it Frazier? I don't even know where it is. I go where the GPS lady tells me, but it's, it's far. Um, but Calvary Colony is, an, is an, a, 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 an extension of Memphis Union Mission. 
So homeless people enter into Memphis Union Mission. They come off the street. Uh, they get clean. <coughs> Excuse me. They come off drugs. They get three squares a day. Um, they become, uh, they, they, they come back to reality. And uh, if they come to a certain point, they graduate, and then they end up going to Calvary Colony, which is out in the middle of nowhere. You can't sneak off and buy alcohol or anything like that. You can't, you're not near your old influences. It's this big, sprawling piece of land that we support as a church. And it's an amazing ministry. And is Diane Daniel in here right now? I don't think she is. Huh? Oh, she is? Okay. Well, let me tell you, Diane Daniel has done this thing year after year after year, and she asks me to do this thing. And every year, to be, to be honest with you, every year I say yes, and every year I dread it uh, because it's at Christmas time. It's a busy time for me. I'm trying to manage my last days off in there, and sometimes it falls on a day off, and it kind of goofs up the night. So just, just I secretly dread it. But then when it happens, I find it to be one of the most refreshing things I ever do. Because you're with these, these guys who, who were homeless, some of them for 30 years. They'll, they'll stand up and give testimonies and say, I was on heroin for 20 years. I didn't sleep one night indoors for 20 years. And all of a sudden, they're clean and as lucid as you and me. They're articulating the gospel. And it's like talking to one of the elders of our church. I mean, it's just, it's so wonderful. It's just wonderful. Anybody, anybody been up there? I know some of you were there recently. It's just wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, well, you know, Diane Daniel gets up there and uh, she does a little thing. And there's some lady from Bellevue who's done it forever, who's just the dearest little thing you've ever seen. Um, and then Diane Daniel will get up there and she, she tells a story about Luke 2. And she's, she's up there in her blue jeans and she's speaking real authoritatively. The crowd goes wild for her every year. And... Um, <laughs> She speaks authoritatively about this, and uh, one of the things she loves to say is that um, the angel makes this announcement first to, wow, somebody's doing really well over there. Uh, Yes, (laughs) Uh, the angel makes this announcement first, she says, to homeless people. It's kind of cool, the shepherds. Isn't that kind of cool? You know, that's got a good ring to it. You know, when, if, you're, if you've been homeless, you go, wow, that's pretty neat. Uh, the, these shepherds, you know, they're out in the fields at night. They're, they're not undercover and, and, uh, and so on. It's quite a catchy line. And I don't know if you've ever seen, <coughs> excuse me, actual rural shepherds, like out of the country somewhere, but I have. Uh, it's not like these, these, this, this great American technology, the farming industry, um, it's nice, pristine, and all that uh, clean American agriculture. Rather, these are rural folks, man. They're dirty like the sheep, and they smell like the sheep, and they look like the sheep, and they're out with the sheep, and uh, they're just very much near the animals. They're just a there's a different kind of people. Um, these rural shepherds, uh, they they smell like the animals they're caring for, and indeed, when you look at the story about uh, Joseph and uh, and Mary. They're traveling. They make this long journey. It's 90 miles. It's a 90-mile journey, which, uh, and it's not easy terrain either. It's 90, not 90 miles on some paved old uh, train tracks. <coughs> Excuse me. It's, an, it's a 90-mile a arduous journey. And for a, for a young, uh, quite pregnant lady, uh, girl, that would be quite a, quite a thing. And so they make this journey, and in a sense... Jesus' parents, and in a sense, Jesus himself are at that time 
homeless. Finding shelter is an issue. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I think about shelter a lot. Every time it's cold, I, I look out at night and I think, I go, Lord, thank you for shelter. I thank God for shelter a lot for some reason. I think it's so easy for, t- for us to take for granted that we have heat and, and, a, and a roof over our heads and, and no mosquitoes flying in all the time and, and so on. But for, for Joseph and Mary, there was no soap. There were no sterile conditions. There was no climate control. And when it came to Jesus' birth, there was no nursemaid. There was no hot water. There were no clean towels, some clean scenario. Uh, It was blood and labor and pains and earth. That's how Jesus came into this world. I don't know about you, but I pondered over that my entire Christian life, how the son of of God, the son of God of glory, um, would have come into this world to be its savior in such humble circumstances, such a humiliating reception. And of course, there's an ultimate rejection by the ones he came to save. It's just, it's just amazing to ponder. Well, what's our main idea here today? Um, yes, I have pondered over that, uh, the way Jesus came in, the, the humble way the, the, the God of glory would have entered this world, it's true. But Christ's humble birth was more logical than it seems. Um, that he should come into that, the world in that way uh, looking at it on this side of, of, of gospel understanding, um, it really makes a lot of sense. Uh, so let's explore that together. I got three points. This is the first one, the entry of God in the world. Look at verse one. We'll just kind of take this apart a little bit. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus um, yeah, that all the world should be registered. Now, when we read all the world there, we're talking about the Roman world. All right, and so the Roman world was uh, already vast. Rome already had great control, and they would they would rule the world for another hundred years and more. And as they rule the world for another hundred years and more, they'll expand their the Roman Empire pretty much um, all the way to the um, all the way to the west. Eventually, they'll take over a, a lot of Britannia, Spain, France, and all that. Um, and they'll go all the way to like the, 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 the Armenian Empire uh, and, and so on. It, it's just this vast thing, the, the northern rim of Africa. So for another 100 years, Rome is expanding and expanding and expanding. They're not like diminishing in power. They're growing in power. It's right in the... They haven't hit the zenith, but they are, they are well in power, uh, this Roman world. And um, in... Um, you can imagine how disheartening it would be for a Jew to be living in that, uh, in that time where, where they think, well, not, we're, we're, we're in the land, we're in the land, we're in the land of promise, uh, and yet we're occupied, solidly controlled by the Romans. You can imagine how disheartening that would be. In a sense, it's almost kind of like they're in captivity all over again. Uh, now, I will say that they were often allowed in that, in, in, under Roman rule, they would allow cultures to be themselves and worship certain ways, and it was a way of keeping Roman peace, okay? So they would allow cultures to exist uh, peaceably and, and to be themselves. But in a way, they're still captive even in their own land. It had to have been very disheartening. And so was there a waiting in this Messiah figure that God has promised? They're hoping, hoping, hoping that it'll break Roman rule, that they'll be free again, and they'll have, they'll have a place in the land. All right, now tuck that away. We'll talk about it more in a second. So continuing on, it says, uh, <coughs> 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus was the great grand nephew of Julius Caesar. All right, so um, and uh, he rose to power in kind of a ruthless way. Uh, yet he was a good administrator, pretty much, and um, he wanted to keep Roman peace, and uh, which is why he has this thing that says uh, all should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so he wants to keep order, and he's like, look, we don't know who the kingdom is until we count everybody, so let's count everybody so we have an idea of what we got. And so he puts this thing in place. Uh, and of course, it helps with taxation too. Um, and then again, you have this guy, this Quirinius or Cyrenius, however your Bible translation puts it. Quirinius was governor of Syria. There is some debate about this cat, um, but um, it appears that he was uh, governing before and after Jesus, kind of in different respects. But anyway... Um, You have this thing anchored in time. Here's an application for you. There is a historicity about this Savior. Our salvation is not sprinkled with magic dust, and uh, it's like mythology and unicorns and pegasus and all that kind of stuff. We have an historical Savior in a real place at a real time with real rulers. I mean, the reason we know about, like, for instance, Quirinius, the reason we know about his rule and how there was a rule before Jesus and a rule after Jesus and stuff, because inscriptions have been found. There's historical record of these things, and the Bible invites uh, scrutiny. The Bible says, hey, look at me. This happened at a real place in a real time in a real culture with a real language, post-philosophers. This is when Jesus comes into the world. All right, so Jesus is literally born in the middle of a census by an occupying eternal force, one that would clearly uh, be in control of the world for at least another century. And it makes it extremely clear, friends, that Jesus is born into this world, per our point here, um, not to establish an earthly kingdom. I mean, he's born into this scenario that is not going away anytime soon. If there was any question that Jesus came to destroy Roman rule, uh-uh. As we, now, we have the luxury of the reader, but we're shown that this is not an earthly kingdom that Jesus has come to establish. It's not earthly. He is subject, even in the womb of his mother, he's subject to Roman rule. His parents have to travel to register. He is under earthly authority. It is not some earthly government that Jesus came to set up. It is a spiritual monarchy. That's a very good application for us. All right, let's look at something else. Verse 4, Joseph also goes up from Galilee, the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, um, which is called Bethlehem. Now, why is that called the city of David when you got Zion, and that's the city of David too, and, and so on? Well, it, it, first of all, uh, no, notice... Um, the, the, the triple hits of David. You've got uh, verse four, the city of David, um, because he's in the house and lineage of David. When the angel comes to the shepherds, it's, it's, he says, unto you is born this day in the city of David. It's David, David, David. Why is, why is that so important? The reason it's important is there's no misjudging um, the message that is being communicated to the world, all right? By the way, um, <clears throat> Check this out. Um, you don't have to turn, but um, in um, yeah. By the way, David um, it, it, David grew up um, there. David went back there as an adult. That's why it was called the the, the city of David. Um, 
but there's no misjudging the message that's being communicated to the world. Listen to this. This is from 2 Samuel um, 7, verse 12. Listen. When your days are fulfilled, this is God talking to David. When your, David, when, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now, is he talking about Solomon? Yeah, in a way he is. He's going he's gonna to discipline Solomon and so on. Um, but it goes on to say this. It, it's, it's speaking in parallel terms. Listen to this. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all his vision, Nathan spoke to David. <coughs> so Nathan is giving the word of the Lord to David and he's speaking in forever terms. He's talking about a, a kingdom that comes from David's lineage, true, but it's a forever kingdom. It's not just an earthly kingdom. It's a forever kingdom. And it's not like, it's not like yay, David, you're going to be awesome forever. It's forever. And, um, and, and you know, in, in our passage here, let me flip back. If you look at uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 32, Yeah, he will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's this Christ child who's come. That's the significance of, of, of being in the house and lineage of David. Um, the kingdom of David. Um, the last thing we'll look at on this point is this. If you look at verses six and seven, it says, uh, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Uh, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them uh, in the inn. Now, a manger, you know, I don't know what that little thing is, but um, probably didn't look quite like that, or it might have. But whatever the case, um, you know, that's very familiar. We've seen all these nativity things. And, you know, it doesn't look half bad, does it? looks kind of comfortable. Um, you ever seen drippy livestock <laughs> eaten? I mean, it's grody to the maximum, you know? And uh, a lot of times uh, a manger wasn't some little cute little thing that, you know, dad made in woodshop uh, for the school play, but uh, it was a, a carved out thing out of stone. Sometimes it was a thing carved out in a, in a, in a wall of a, of a cave um, upon which a, a stable would be built, and animals would just slurp out of it and slop out of it and eat out of it. That's what, that's what Jesus was put in. I mean, talk about a, a humble, humble place indeed. Here's another thing. When it says there was no place for them at the inn, um, there's no reason to conjure up some Charles Dickens-style uh, you know, mean innkeeper, where, get out of here, you pregnant lady. You know, there's no room for you. Uh, you don't have to conjure that up. There's nothing in here that says that there was a mean innkeeper or anything like that. Um, there was just no room. On the contrary, it was probably compassionate that they found any shelter at all. Hey, I got a question for you. Where did they get swaddling clothes? Huh? The swaddling store? Yeah, yeah. They just went to the Collierville Mall and got some stuff from the baby gap, you know? I mean, 
Where do they get these things? These were probably rags. And by the way, Joseph and Mary likely, like people of that day, had one set of clothes. You know where they were? On their bodies. Where do they get swaddling clothes? What was Jesus wrapped in? Um, I don't know. And by the way, far be it from me to to criticize Martin Luther, but, um, (laughs) you know, he's, (laughs) he's got... Uh, I've got his sermons, his collected sermons, a, a, a set of them, and I read, he's got three on Christmas Day, so they, they, they had church three times on Christmas. You only have t- twice. Uh, they, three times. His first, his first sermon had 78 points. That's the one I read. Um, but in it, he goes a little wonky. He, he goes, oh, the, uh, the inner swaddling clothes, the itchy ones, are the prophet's. And the outer ones are the rest of the scriptures. And he has all this allegorical, weird, crazy stuff, you know, where I'm writing bleh and ugh in my margins next to what Martin Luther wrote. But anyway, uh, that, that aside, a better question here is what, is what is meant by the term in? What does it mean that it's an in? Is it a holiday in? Is it a beautiful little English cottage? Is that what an inn is? That's kind of what we think of, an inn. Um, likely, friends, the Jews were concerned with commingling with the uh, Romans, and so the Jews were probably staying in a lot of people's houses, you know, private houses and so on, and that probably added to the mayhem of the census that there's nowhere to, there's nowhere to fit. This no-room issue was probably part of the mayhem of the census, this giant upheaval, and the middle of it is this peasant couple who are very young, without means, even the basics of shelter. All right, application to our main idea today. We'll pick up this point in our, in our next point, and I'll, I'll step on the gas here. It's not illogical that Christ came into the world this way. You know, um, a beloved passage for many a Christian is enough in Philippians 2, where it talks about how we should have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God uh, a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Now, that, that's profound, isn't it, to consider the humility with which Jesus comes into this world. He takes his glory, he sets it aside, he doesn't enjoy it, he sets it aside and lives a real human life born into this world as we were. But do you see that it really had to be that way, that it's not illogical that he came in such humility? If he came in splendor, what would have happened? Um, if, he, if he came... If he came with a scepter in his hand, and if he came at the, at the apex of, of the culture, what would they have wanted him to do? Set up an earthly kingdom. He's here, yay. Rome's shackles are finally broken. Here he is. No, no. It's a spiritual monarchy. And, you know, the issue is, is the same thing for us, friends. You know, from George, the first George Bush's thousand points of light, you remember a thousand points of light? Remember that, some of you, old people? I still don't know what it means. Remember he would say it all the time, a thousand points of light. I'm like, huh, that's a neat thought. What does it mean? We never, nobody really understood it. Um, how about this, a new world order. That was also a, a George Bush one thing. Uh, how about this, the juris- jurisdiction of the UN. 
oh, the United Nations have come together, and now we have this government, uh, governmental body, and we're going to, uh, <coughs> a bunch of bureaucrats are going to pull the world together, and we're going to make the world better. Yay! Or just the whole philosophy that we can solve everything by the idea of a cooperative world. Now, should we have a cooperative world? Yes, I think we should strive for that, absolutely. Should we listen to each other and work with one another? Yes, yes, yes. But that's not our Savior. The Savior isn't some earthly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. There can be no real change unless the Holy Spirit of God is moving. An earthly co-op is not the Savior. The God-man is. One sent from the outside who comes into this world and might restore what was marred by sin and rescue those who were bound to perish. I don't see that there could be any other way that Jesus could have come into the world, uh, else we would have wanted to exalt him as an earthly savior, and that's not what he was or is. All right, second point, and we're moving pretty quick here. (coughs) Notice uh, in verse eight and following, Um, the shepherds are out in the field. They're watching over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. It doesn't just say there was a bunch of light. It says the glory of the Lord. And the angel says to them, uh, check this out, a child with three names. This is pretty cool. The angel says to them, fear not. Uh, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day, in the city of David, and here it is, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We tend to mush those things together, but they are three things. They are three names. He's a Savior, and you know, in, in Zechariah's prophecy, uh, it, you know, John the Baptist's dad, uh, he, he has a, this prophetic song that he says in, at, at the end of chapter 1. Uh, in verse uh, 69 of, of chapter 1, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation for his people. That's who this Christ is. He's not just a cute little baby, not a fine little example, not a pitiful little story, not a pretty little scene on a card, but he's Savior. And Savior comes because people are perishing. He's also, verse 11 of our text, the Christ. Um, In uh, chapter 4 of the same uh, uh, gospel, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me uh, and anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Christ is the Lord's anointed one. It means that he is the Messiah figure, the one that God promised, the one God set his spirit on. He is the Christ That's not Jesus' last name. That's an office. And then lastly, uh, the Lord. That's a third name. Uh, In Matthew 123, it says this, uh, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's from Isaiah 8, by the way. In other words, he is God. He's Lord. He's God sent from God. Now, application. And I know we gotta, we got to wrap it up here. Uh, one commentator said, we can assume at least that the very birth of Christ in a condition of poverty and deprivation must have caused these angels to stand in awe of God's indescribably marvelous love. You know, in Ephesians um, yeah, 3, Paul writes this, and I just love it. In fact, I prayed it first hour, or maybe I prayed it during rehearsal, I can't remember. Um, but... Um, 
Paul's talking about the mystery of the gospel. And he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And um, he says, um, um, to, 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 to show the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, amazing, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The angels are happy. You know why? They're seeing this aspect of God. They go, wow, this is grace. This is grace. The angels who had not fallen understood that God provided everything for them. It's true. But what are they beholding? That the Savior's broken into this world to save these sinners? The angels are getting a glimpse of God that they knew not before. They go, this is grace. All right, last point. Um, the joy of heaven for us. In keeping with the, the, the attitude of the angels. Um, I, I've always loved the way this is put. Um, the shepherds, they go, um, the, the angels leave, the host of heaven leaves, Glory to God in the highest, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels go away, and the shepherds go, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. <laughs> Do you not see humor in that? I mean, there's, there, there's suddenly a vacuum, and the angels leave, and the night sky returns, and they go, let's go to Bethlehem. <laughs> because uh, this seems uh, pretty important. <laughs> I just love that uh, line. Well, so, so the, the angel had said to them, um, he, he didn't say, I bring, I bring good news. He didn't say to the shepherds, I bring good news. He says, I bring to you good news. Uh, he doesn't say, oh, uh, uh, a Savior is born. He says, unto you a Savior is born. Yes, it's for all humankind, uh, for all the people. But there's a specificity about this gospel. Um, in verse 14, it says, glory to God in the highest, the host of angels say, and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. Other translations say, on whom God's favor rests. Others say, those who enjoy God's favor. Others say, those who have God's will. There's a specificity uh, to salvation uh, for many, if not most, for will reject him, right, in this world, but some won't. Uh, many of the same people who um, were alive at this time will yell, crucify him, crucify him. So what are the angels thinking when they are singing or saying as a collected host, glory to God in the highest? I think they're thinking this. Adam stole God's glory. Christ brings it back to God, and all of heaven is for us. For us. Um, you know, I strenuously try to steer you and us away from the fanciful, um, from, from silly Christian thought. You know, hunches um, are often dependent on lunches, dependent upon lunches. You know that? You go, oh, I think the Lord moved, or that was the salad, you know? Um, we, we, sh we shouldn't live like that. But let me, let me tell you, friends, I assure you, the angels are for us. The angels are happy for us. The angels minister to us. The angels are sent by God to be present with us. The angels are for us. They're, they're real, y'all. Angels are real. 
and, um, and we see this mysterious, I know it's mysterious how they minister to it, but we see their joy in uh, the way they make this pronouncement. The angels are for us. All of heaven is happy for us. They care about us. They, 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 uh, they have a vested interest in us. All right, last thing is this, and I, we got to go. I got to tune a guitar. Um, when, when I worked in Milwaukee, um, I lived there for two years, and um, often when I would leave uh, at night, I would be the last one. I'd, I'd be the last one to leave, and um, it'd be nine thirty, ten o'clock at night, ten thirty at night sometimes, and I had to close up. And we were downtown on Broadway on in, in Milwaukee, and uh, there was like a downstairs. So you, there was an exterior lock. <coughs> you go up the stairs, and then there were two two places to work, and we were this one. And often, as I'd be locking the top door, there'd be a homeless guy laying there. And uh, I'd have to go like, hey, man, sorry. Sorry to wake you, but I have to lock the bottom door, and I can't lock you in, and it'd be freezing cold. And Milwaukee's eight degrees colder than Chicago generally, and it was just, oh, it was terrible. And uh, but So I had to kick the guy out, and... Um, and he'd be like, ah, there, you know. But I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to make him leave. But you know what I would do? I knew of a couple of places. Um, and I knew this particular, particular place was a parking garage. And it was a pretty good parking garage. There was a stairwell that not a lot of homeless people knew about. There were always a lot of newspapers in there and stuff. And I would say, hey, man, let me take you and uh, take you from this homeless situation. I can't, can't let you stay here, but I'm not gonna, but I gotta, I got, you don't have to be outside tonight. I got a good place for you. And I would walk, it was about a, I don't know, six, seven minute walk. And I would take these homeless people. I took many of them to this particular stairwell. And I'd say, see, there's plenty of newspapers. You could put them in your clothes, stuff them in your, you know, pants and stuff. That's how they would stay warm or cover yourselves in newspapers. And so I had this other opportunity for these, these homeless guys. But you know what? They were still homeless, I got a good message for you. The, the Bible has a good message for you. The angels have a good message for you. Um, you displaced people. Uh, you people without an eternal home. You people without a heavenly father. You people without a covering. Uh, the gospel provides it. Jesus came into this world not to be a cute baby. He came into this world to die in the sinner's place. He came into this world to give you a covering that God might look at you and not see your sin anymore because it's been forgiven. Rather, he looks upon you who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and he sees the righteousness of his Son. He sees the righteousness of the Son of God, and he says, all is well with this one. And friends, all of heaven rejoices then and now. That's the gospel message. Merry Christmas. Let's close in prayer. Lord. Thank you for not giving up on us. And thank you for providing this mysterious Christ who broke into this world in a profound way and not illogical. Uh, He came in great humility so that there could be no mistake. You have set up a spiritual monarchy and um, that changes everything for us forever. Thank you for that. We praise you in Christ's name, amen.